thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. So this morning, we are wrapping up our series called The Way of the Kingdom, and we have been looking in this series through Matthew chapter 13, and we've been looking at what are referred to as the parables of the kingdom. These are parables Jesus uses to show his listeners and show us as the readers of God's word what the kingdom of God is like, how the kingdom of God operates. Now let's do a little quick recap about parables. Parables are to be understood as a short illustration that conveys a single spiritual principle. It's a short illustration that conveys a single spiritual principle. Sometimes people say, well, Jesus taught in parables, and parables are stories. The only problem with that is parables aren't always stories. We're looking at a couple today that maybe just be one, maybe are one sentence or maybe two sentences. So a parable doesn't necessarily have to be a story, but it is an illustration that Jesus uses to convey, to teach a single spiritual principle. And I mention a single spiritual principle, and that's important as well. Because if you go all the way back to the beginning of this series, if you want more details, we talk about both of these things in more detail. But just as a reminder, first of all, we don't take a parable and take that parable and look at every single little detail and assign a bigger purpose or a bigger meaning to every single detail. That's called allegorizing. If you remember from high school English class, high school literature class, an allegory is a story or some sort of work where every single thing relates to something else. How this is done relates to this. What this means relates to that. And if we aren't careful, we can take a parable and say, now this means this and this means this, and we start assigning uh, motivations to individuals and characters and parables that Jesus never said because it demonstrates and he's conveying one single spiritual principle. We also don't get deep doctrine or, or anything like that from parables. We get a principle, but we don't look at a parable and say, now this is the way it flows. This is the process. This is, these are all the things we need to know about this given topic. And so we have to be careful when we interpret parables and interpret them in the right way. Let me give you an example. Many years ago, when I was serving at a church in Knoxville, Tennessee, I, a, a man came, wanted to talk to me, an older gentleman, and he sat down and there was a member of his family that because of something that had been done years before, there was a, a great conflict. There was an ongoing conflict between him and this member of his family. And he told me, well, this member of my family, he is living like the prodigal son in the Bible. And I said, okay. And then he went on to say this. But if you remember, that prodigal son had to come to the end of himself and had to wake up to himself, realized he had squandered everything and he's living in a pigsty. And so he decides that he's going to come back home and that's when the father goes and meets him. So I don't have to forgive him. I don't have to forgive my relative 
until he comes back and asks for forgiveness because that's the way the parable says it works. And I said, the problem with that is that's not what the parable is teaching. The parable primarily is not a parable of forgiveness. Because you, I told him, I said, you have to look at that parable in the context of the three parables that Jesus tells in sequence. He talks about a lost sheep. He says a man has a hundred sheep. One of them is lost. He leaves the 99. He goes, find, he goes and he finds the one. And then it says, when he brings that sheep back, he tells his neighbors, rejoice with me because that which is lost has been found. Then he tells a parable about a woman who has 10 silver coins. She loses one of those, those coins, and then she turns her house upside down to find that one item of value. And when she finds it, she tells her neighbors, rejoice with me, for what is lost has been found. And then we have, following on the heels of those two parables, the parable of the lost son. There's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, there's a lost son. And the father tells the people, it tells, in this case, the older brother, we should rejoice because my son that was dead is now alive. The whole point of those parables is a single spiritual principle that God rejoices over sinners who repent. And there should be rejoicing among those who share the heart of the father. That's the point. It's not primarily a parable about how we are to offer forgiveness. Well, that guy didn't like that. He said, I disagree with your interpretation. I said, well, you just need to take it up with the Bible. This is what God's word says. You can't withhold the forgiveness. And he'd been going on for like 20 years. I'm never going to forgive him. I said, you have to forgive him regardless of whether he comes to you or not. No, no, no. The parable says otherwise. That's not what the parable says. So we have to be very careful when we interpret parables. Secondly, the purpose of the parables. We talked about that. We find a little earlier in Matthew chapter 13 that when the, when the disciples asked Jesus, why do you teach in parables? Jesus does not say what many times we say. I've heard it so many times. The reason Jesus spoke in parables was so everybody could understand it very easily. That's a great idea, except that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says back a little earlier in Matthew chapter 13, around verse 10 and following, Jesus says, the reason I'm speaking in parables, when the disciples ask him, he says, the reason I'm speaking in parables is so that those who have spiritual hearing will hear, and those who will not hear, they won't understand. That's the whole point. It's to reveal it to those who have spiritual ears, but to conceal it from those who do not. No, I know that's hard for us to understand, but I'll refer back to our first sermon in the series. You can listen to how we fleshed out those details. But Jesus, up until this point, has been preaching, has been teaching there at the seashore, and there all the crowds have been there. But we find in Matthew chapter 13, verse 36, he left the crowds and went into the house. So we find that with these two last parables we're looking at today, starting in verse 44, Jesus is alone with his disciples. All the other parables of the kingdom, he has shared with the crowd. These two parables, he shares privately with his disciples. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We ask that you would speak to us from your word. We ask as we look at these two 
simple illustrations. Father, we pray that you would give us understanding, you would give us wisdom, you would give us spiritual ears to hear what you would have to say to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus tells these two parables. One is a man who is out in a field, comes upon a treasure, finds it, covers it back up, and then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has in order to buy that field so he can have that treasure for his own. Now, I was teaching this, this parable to a group of children one time, and you can imagine the hands went up. Why was he in the field? Bible doesn't say. Was he farming the field? We don't know. Was he a treasure hunter? Probably not. You didn't have ancient History Channel special, you know, treasure in a field tonight on History Channel, right? Which is probably a good thing because they would be, you know, it would, it would get weird if you've ever watched History Channel. Some of those, uh, it, would, it would go on for an entire season and the guy would never find the treasure, right? We're, we, we had something on the sonar, but now it's gone. We don't know. And, and so we don't find that's the case. But the hands went up. Was the man a treasure hunter? No, probably not. No, he just came up on it. What was he doing in the field? We don't know. Well, isn't that a little dishonest? What? Well, I mean, he shouldn't he have gone and found the owner of the field and said, hey, you got some treasure out there. Maybe I get a little finder's fee. Why did he cover it back up? Well, okay, that's just what the Bible says. Well, don't you think that's kind of dishonest? I mean, why did he go and he buy the, why didn't he tell the owner when he bought the field? Okay, again, referring back to our first point about parables, none of those things are the point of the parable. The point of the parable is there is something of great value and someone is willing to give up everything to get it. That's the point of the parable. That's why you only have one point on the outline today. When you recognize the supreme value of the kingdom of God, you will sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. That's the point. That's the point of both of the parables. You find a man who is in search of pearls. He's in search of fine pearls. Now, this might be a good time to say. Back in ancient times, in the first century and before, pearls were considered more valuable than any other precious gemstone or jewel. They were of highest order in value. More than diamonds, more than gold, more than rubies, pearls were number one because they were so rare. And matching pairs of pearls, oh, forget about it. If you had a matching pair of pearls, that was considered extraordinarily rare. You do realize that so far as natural pearls are concerned, nowadays we have cultured pearls, and that is you take a a small round piece of pearl or you take a small round piece of shell and you put it inside the oyster and the oyster puts layer after layer after layer of of a hard coating, a hard substance over that, that seed basically again and again and again. And we call those cultured pearls because they are cultured. But a natural pearl that starts out from some irritation inside that oyster, that natural pearl To find a perfectly round natural pearl, it is estimated that the odds of that happening is one in 200 million. One in 200 million to find a perfectly round natural pearl. No wonder they were so incredibly valued. 
there was a Roman general, Vitellius. This Roman general, it was said, and it was recorded historically, that he funded one entire military campaign by selling one of his mother's pearl earrings. Now, I don't know what she did with the other one, but he just sold one. He sold one pearl earring and was able to fund his entire military operation. So you have this merchant. This merchant is one who searches for fine pearls, but then he finds this particular pearl, a pearl of great value. One singular pearl that was so perfect, that was so great, that was so amazing that he sold everything that he had in order to get that one single pearl. That's a pearl that is beyond all compare. We find this is what Jesus is saying. Now, now, when we look at this word, let me, this might help. We see that word where it says that a man is in the field and he finds a treasure. And a man who's looking for pearls upon finding one of such great value. And we may say, ah, but they're looking. That means that people are looking. They're seeking for God. That's not what the idea is. Because that word found, it's a specific word that means you come upon it or maybe you're looking for something and you come upon it. It doesn't mean that you're actually searching for it when you find it. You just come upon it sometimes. The kingdom of God, sometimes people just come upon the kingdom of God. God confronts them. God meets them in their search for lesser things. And sometimes you may not even be looking for the kingdom of God. And God says, but I'm looking. The Bible says that none seek after him. No, not one. God is the ultimate seeker. God's the one who does the seeking. God comes to seek and save the lost in the person of Jesus. And we find that when we recognize the surpassing, the amazing, the exceeding value of the kingdom of God, we will sacrifice anything and everything to be a part of it. That's what Jesus says. Listen to Matthew chapter 6. This is a little earlier in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19. Listen to the words of Jesus. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, direct your heart heavenward. Look toward the heavenly treasure. Look toward the lasting treasure. Don't get so caught up with what's going on here and now. And then he makes this statement in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you treasure, that's what your heart is going to be set upon. That's what we find in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. We find these words, keep your heart, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Everything that relates to life, your desires, your wants, your goals, your passions, all of that comes out of the heart. And so you have to align your heart with the right things. Guard it from the wrong things. Do it by the word and the spirit of God. And then God directs you. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And if you don't guard your heart, your whole life after that is going to run askew. It's going to run contrary to the will of God. And might we add, those things that we treasure when we set our heart upon something... That is what we are transformed into. There's an old Cajun proverb that says, tell me who you love and I'll tell you who you are. 
show me what you love and I'll show you who you are because we will be transformed into that which we treasure. If we treasure the kingdom of God, if we're focused on the kingdom of God, if our heart is set upon the kingdom of God, then the issues of our life, the day-to-day walk of our life will follow that treasure. But if I set it upon earthly things, if I set it upon the passing things, if I set it upon the temporal things, if I set it upon the sinful things, then my heart will go in that direction. And that is what I will be transformed into. Your treasure will transform you. Jesus says you have to have the right treasure in mind. You have to be focused on the right thing. And that means that when you realize the value of the treasure, back to our point, you realize the supreme value of the kingdom. The kingdom, the value of the kingdom, that's that treasure in a field. That's that pearl of great value. When you realize that, you will give up anything. You'll sacrifice anything and everything to be a part of the kingdom. You'll sacrifice anything and everything to follow Christ when you realize the value of following Christ. Listen to what Jesus says about following him. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Notice what he, he doesn't say this. He who loves father and mother more than me has a little work to do. That's not what he says. He says, you're not worthy of me. I know that's hard. These are the words of the Lord. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In this, in this line of thinking, in, Ch- in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says that you, to follow him, you have to hate even your own life when compared to the love that you have for Jesus. I mean, this is, this is some, pretty serious, some pretty serious standards that Jesus is expressing here. And no, he's not being hyperbolic. Well, Jesus is just exaggerating here. No. He's saying, I have to be of first value. I have to be number one. I must be that. No one, no thing is on the same level as me. It doesn't even come close. You can't put someone or something above me. You can't put someone or something on the same level as me. You've got to love me more than anything. You've got to love me more than anybody. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Take up your cross. The disciples, the people who were listening at this time understood exactly what he was saying. He's talking about total, complete surrender. When you were standing in Jerusalem and you saw someone carrying his cross outside of the city, you didn't think, oh, I'll catch up with him later. You knew what was happening. He was not coming back. He was going to die. That was it. Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. And that means it's a total surrender. You realize that no one has ever been half crucified? You know, I'm just living a half crucified life. No one's half crucified. You're crucified or you're not. You're dead to sin and self or you're not. There's no half crucified. That doesn't exist. Jesus, listen to Luke 14, verse 33. Therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot not be my disciple. Why do we renounce all that we have? Because we see the supreme value of the kingdom. Because when you don't see the supreme value of the kingdom, you start holding stuff back. 
you start trying to bargain. Well, I found the treasure in the field. I really like that, but I don't want to sell everything to get it. Maybe I'll try to scheme and get it. Maybe I'll try to work at it and get it. Maybe I'll try some other, uh, you know, backdoor method of trying to get this. No, you just go and you sell everything to get it. You don't see the pearl merchant saying, that's a great pearl you got there. Let me give you an offer on it. No. Okay. I'm going to walk toward the door slowly. See if he'll stop me. Wait, 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 wait. Let's, let's renegotiate. No. What's the price of the pearl? This is it. All right, fine. Sells everything to get it. And they're not after a bargain, but they recognize the exceeding value. And when the value exceeds the cost, then you recognize what's truly going on there. That's what Jesus is saying. There's nothing that is, there is nothing more important than the kingdom. There is nothing more valuable than being a part of the kingdom. There is nothing more valuable than following me, even if that means to the death. That's the most valuable thing. Sometimes we, we hear the story of the rich young ruler. And we, we get that idea from taking different parts from different gospels and kind of piecing them together, kind of piecing some details. We know it's this rich young man that comes to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the law. He goes, well, I've done that. Okay, well, first of all, he doesn't even recognize the depth of his sinfulness. Jesus tells him, go and sell everything you have. Listen, to, this is uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Jesus said, you want to follow me or something in the way? What's in the way is you have, you got way too much stuff that you're depending on that you love more than me. Sell it all and come follow me. Now, is that what Jesus is saying to each one of us? You have to sell everything that you have in order to follow Jesus. No, it's not what he's saying. But he's saying you have to be willing to surrender everything. And if there's something that is between you and following Jesus, you lay it down. Jesus knew this guy. It's because this guy had these great possessions and he loved them. So Jesus said, you got to lay them down. And the guy goes away, sorrowful. Contrast that with what goes on a little bit above in verse 44. The man who finds the treasure in the field, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. There's a joyful urgency that this man has. It's not that he says, oh, there's a treasure in the field. Man, I have to give up everything in order to have this treasure. That's terrible. No. He says for the, he has joy. Oh, I just can't wait. I can't wait to get that treasure. I'm willing to sell everything I have in order to get that treasure. I have to have it. Same thing with a pearl merchant. I've got to have it. Nothing is going to stand in my way of having it. Is that your attitude about the kingdom of God? Is your attitude about the kingdom of God is, there ain't nothing going to stand in my way of participating in the kingdom. There's nothing that's going to stand in the way of me following Jesus. No, I know around this time, whenever somebody says stuff like this, there's always that person who tries to throw cold water on everything. And they say, well, you know, nobody really does that perfectly. I just think we need to do the best that we can and depend upon God to help us. Can I just tell you what that is? That's a cop out. That's an excuse to remain in your sin. Don't say that. The Bible, when Jesus says, 
You have to surrender everything and follow me. Don't try to put a little footnote to the words of Jesus and say, what Jesus really meant was everybody really tries, but nobody does it perfectly. So we're just all going to sit here and wallow together. No, he says, follow me, give it up. And if I point it out, give it up, turn it over, surrender it. Love me more than that. There's no excuse. There's no, well, you know, I try. No, Jesus says, do, do and do again and do again. What if I fail? Get up again and do it again. Depend on his grace. Cast yourself upon his mercy and keep following him. Listen to what, listen to what Peter says. This is after Jesus speaks to the rich young ruler, gives him the layout, gives him the lowdown on this is what it means to follow me. Listen to what Peter says. Of course, it's Peter. Peter verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 21. Then Peter said in reply, well, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Peter's like, well, this guy wouldn't give up anything. Wait a minute. I'm not fishing anymore. I've been following this guy around the countryside. I'm not hanging out with my family like I used to. I'm staying on the road, so to speak. I mean, what? Well, Jesus, what are we going to get out of this? We gave up everything. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will inherit a hundredfold and will inherit eternal, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Nothing, nothing you lose for Jesus will leave you worse off for that loss. Jesus says, I see and I know your sacrifice. And that will be rewarded. And it will be worth it one day. You may not see it right now, but with the eyes of, you may not see it fully realized right now, but with the eyes of faith, you can trust it is worth it even now. There's a joy that comes with that. This joy that this man has when he finds this treasure hidden in the field. It's an urgent kind of joy. And when you have urgent joy for the kingdom of God, you will practice unreserved sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Because there's a joy that takes place because you realize the value. The problem is we don't see that that value far exceeds any cost that we might have to pay. Now, I'm not talking about paying a cost in order to earn your salvation. It is a gift of grace. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about surrendering. Because we focus so much on the lesser things. Even the best we can imagine, it's still less than the incredible surpassing value that God tells us his kingdom has in his word. He, he, there's no proof that he ever said it. But there's an old saying that was attributed to Henry Ford. And again, no proof that he said it, but the spirit is still there. The, the saying goes, Henry Ford once said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. They would have said, oh, I just need a faster horse. Because nobody could have imagined a car. Nobody could have imagined an automobile. If we depend upon only what we're asking God, oh, God, this is what I think I need. God, this is what I want. No, we need to look to his kingdom. And God says, this is what my kingdom is about. And when you're part of my kingdom... That, that value of my kingdom far surpasses anything that you could be thinking about. Anything the world has to offer. 
It's far beyond a faster horse. It's far beyond any of the pearls that you may be gathering. It's far beyond anything else that you have ever found in any sort of field. No, no. It's exceedingly valuable. But we have to understand that that is what awaits us to be fulfilled. And so we have to be heavenly minded whenever we understand the supreme value of the kingdom. One mark of, of growing spiritual maturity, one mark, there are numerous marks, but one mark is that not just we love the kingdom more than the world, but get this, we will relate to life in the kingdom more than we do to life in the world. We will relate more to the kingdom than we will to the world. We'll relate more to the way of the kingdom than the way of the world as we grow in maturity. It'll become much more necessary to exercise great wisdom and great discernment as we're maturing because we recognize this isn't my home. This is not my final destination. It's not going to be like this one day. God's going to set everything right and his kingdom operates contrary to the way that the earth operates, the way that the world operates. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. These all died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He's talking about the patriarchs in the Bible. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about those who left everything they knew to follow God and to be a part of what God was calling them to. And the writer of Hebrews says, if they had thought about it, they could have gone back to that country where they came from and just live like that was all there was. And he goes, no, 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 no. But they understood there's something more. They related more as citizens to a heavenly country than to a earthly nation. Because they realized ultimately that's where they were going to spend eternity. They, they were willing to forfeit everything here on earth for their heavenly citizenship. That's what we find. And whenever we realize that, when we realize the supreme value of the kingdom, we'll be willing to sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. This is why Paul could write this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Whatever gain I had, now he's talking about all his earthly credentials, all his credentials of Judaism. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He has a singular focus, the, surpa the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. And he says, everything else is loss. Everything else, comparatively, no value because I realize the value of what I have. I served, as I mentioned earlier, I served uh, as children's pastor for a couple of years up at, our last, at the last church where I served. And I remember one Wednesday night, I came in and, and the kids would, would do different things. They'd memorize Bible verses and all sorts of things like that. And, and, and they would, they would uh, have quiet times and do all these things. And, and they, would, they would sometimes get a reward. And if we saw them, you know, really being nice to somebody or helping someone out, we'd give them a reward. 
And we gave them these little, this little monopoly money, and they would take that and they would use that in this little area we had where we had some things they could, you know, little trinkets and stuff like that, and they could, they could buy some little something, and it was, you know, it was just to encourage them. Uh, we did find out that we had to get really creative with the color of paper because some of the kids, when we were using white paper, some of the kids took some of the bills and found a copy machine, and they had this little counterfeit ring going on, <laughs> proof positive that we are depraved. And so, um, so we busted up the counterfeit ring. Um, it was, it was, uh, we, we had a little interrogation. We're like, look at these. These are not the same. And yet you were handing these over. Oh, so-and-so gave me those. They're not mine. I've never seen those bills before. I mean, it was, it was that sort of thing. Um, but anyway, so one night I walked in and there was this little girl. She's, she's sitting against the wall with her knees drawn up and her face in her hands and she's just crying. Now that's not a, that's not an unusual occurrence in children's ministry. And so I walked over and leaned against the wall and I slid down next to her and I said, what's going on? And she said, they took my money. I said, who took your money? She said, those, those leaders, they took my money. I said, why did they take your money? And I'm thinking counterfeit money. They took your money. And I said, why did they take your money? And she said, and she finally calmed down enough and she said, I had $16. I said, okay. She said, and they took it? I said, they took it? She said, yeah. So I, I said, just stay here. So I walked over to talk to the leaders, and I said, what's going on with her? And they said, well, she had, she had 16 $1 of the Monopoly money type thing. She had 16 of them, one bill, $1 bills. I said, okay. She said, we needed $1 bills. So we took her 16 and we gave her 120. And I said, really? They said, yeah, she got a 20. So I went over and sat down next to her and I said, did they give you anything when they took that? She goes, yeah. I said, what did they give you? She goes, this, this one piece of paper. I said, you, you do realize that you just, you made $4. No, I didn't. She said, they took 15 things that I had and gave me one. They took 16 and gave me one in its place. I lost 15. I said, no, you gained four. She said, no, look, it's just one. I was like, but it's one that means more, has more value than your 16. Do you know what I do all too often? I give up something for the kingdom and I am against the wall with my knees drawn up and my face in my hand saying, God, you took those 16 things and just gave me this. And God is like, child, if you saw the value of what you have, you would have given up your 16 a long time ago. You would not have clung to those. The problem is we cling to the 16 ones and we miss the 20 that God is saying, it's yours. Just give it up. I'm giving you something of surpassing value. I'm giving you something that is more valuable than what you have if you just realize that. But oh no, we don't do that. But this is why, this is why we find this. Acts chapter 20 verse 24. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, only that I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. That's the point. You reach a point that you see that there's nothing that you're going to give up that's going to leave you for the worst. You're willing to sacrifice anything, including your own life. Listen, I don't account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. My life, in the, in, in the grand scheme of things, my eternity is set. I'm not even worried about it. 
And this is the important thing we need to understand. Why can you say that? Is it just because of the value of the kingdom? Yes. Yes. But God understood the value of his kingdom and understood that we couldn't do anything to get there on our own. So he sent his son to pay the ultimate price so that we can turn around and surrender everything to him. Jesus paid it all. Since Jesus paid it all, I can sacrifice all. Because guess what? It ain't mine anyway. Because if I'm his, then that means everything I am, everything that I have is already his. I've already forfeited my ownership. I don't even belong to myself. Listen to, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, that's Jesus, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. If you've come to Christ, you have said, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for you. It's not about my desire. It's not about my expectation. It's not about my opinion. It's not about my preferences. It's not about any of that. I've laid it all down. It's about what do you want? See, our problem is we go to God and we start saying, God, this is what I want. So I know that's what you want. No, we need to first go to God and say, God, what do you want? And, and line my life up with you. See, that's the problem. The problem is we walk around and we talk like God is going to agree with us about all our preferences, expectations, and opinions. No, no. We have to go from God's truth. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. You are not your own. How much clearer can we get? God's telling us, you're not your own. If you're a follower of Christ, you don't even belong to yourself. You're mine. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We're bought. We don't belong to ourselves. If you're a follower of Christ, you don't get to say, well, I'm going to do this with my life. I had a guy come to me one time many years ago and he sat down and he says, I just want you to know I've decided to use my gifts to serve God. I said, why do you think he gave them to you? He said, well, isn't that exciting? I said, yeah, it's exciting that you're surrendering that. He goes, yeah, I just made that decision. I figured I could use it for lots of things, but I want to serve God with my gifts. I was like, that's the reason he gave you the gifts. You're not your own. You don't get to say, I'm going to do this with this and this with this and this with this. No, because we, if we're followers of Christ, we belong to Christ. Listen to Romans chapter 14, verse 7. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We're not our own. We don't get to say, well, this is what I think should happen. Not unless God says it. And then we need to rephrase it. This is what God says. This is who I'm following. I have to surrender. I have to die to self to receive and to embrace the will of God and the way that it works in the kingdom of God. When you recognize the supreme value of the kingdom of God, you will sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. This is what we see reflected in the last book of the Bible. This is what we see in, in Revelation. And we find this heavenly scene. Revelation 12, verse 10. John writes, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. 
For the accuser of the brothers, that's Satan, has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Get this line. For they love not their lives even unto death. Those who were standing giving praise and honor and glory to God. They, they said when it comes to being a part of the kingdom. And that cost is laying down my own physical life and dying. You know what? It's worth it. And if the Bible can say that it is worth it to give up our physical lives and physically die for the kingdom. Can I tell you this? The kingdom, is God, the kingdom of God is worth our day-to-day sacrifice in our life. Now, I know sometimes, honestly, sometimes I think it would be more easy to just physically die once, boom, for the kingdom. Have some incredible stand for God and then, boom, die as a martyr than to, than to die to self every single day seek to die to self every single moment for the rest of our lifetimes on earth but whether we live we are to sacrifice day by day moment by moment taking up our cross and following him or whether we die we die in honor of god pointing toward his kingdom have you have you found that treasure in the field and given up everything for it Have you found that pearl of great value and you said, you know what? It doesn't matter what I have to give up to get that. That's what I want. That's what I have to have. Can I I tell you this? According to Jesus, that's the way the kingdom works. Meaning, if we're part of the kingdom, this is what's in operation right now. Meaning, get this, this is normal. The abnormal thing is to withhold things as a child of God from the kingdom that's abnormal that's what that's not normal the norm the norm is sacrificing everything in order to have that treasure giving up everything in order to have that girl that that pearl of of great value that that is what the biblical norm is have you done that if you haven't will you do that There is nothing that you are going to give up. There is nothing that you are going to give up to follow Christ that you're going to look at and say, you know what? Following Christ just wasn't worth that sacrifice. If he gave his all on the cross for us and we now belong to him as his followers, then that means there is nothing that he is going to call us to give up. But what he realizes, I got something far better waiting. If you've, never, if you've never made a decision to follow Christ, let today be that day. Let today be the day that you say, doesn't matter what I have to give up, doesn't matter what I have to surrender, I believe Jesus is worth it based upon what he says in his word. And if you're a follower of Christ and you've been hanging on to something and you've been trying to hang on to one thing that is of lesser value and try to hang on to the kingdom at the same time and try to make them matchy-match, can I just tell you, Jesus is telling you from his word today, you've got to let that go. Not that it's a bad thing, but you've got to let it go for me. You have to love me more than that. You have to love me more than that person. You have to love me more than that thing. You have to love me more than that possession. You have to love me more than that title. You have to love me more than your preferences and your opinions and your expectations on how the kingdom should work and realign your life, your heart, your thinking with how I say my kingdom functions. If you're going to truly be a part of it, it's got to be by kingdom rules.
got to be by kingdom rules. That's what he calls us to. When you recognize the supreme value of the kingdom of God, you will sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. That's the way of the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We come before you recognizing that there is nothing that we can cling to here. There is nothing earthly that we can cling to that can compare to the exceeding, incredible, amazing, staggering, immeasurable value of your kingdom, of being a part of your kingdom. And so, Father, I pray if there's anybody here watching, listening, either now or later, that would say, I've never made that decision. I've never surrendered to Christ. I've, I've never laid everything down. That today would be the day that they would throw themselves upon the mercy of Christ, realizing that out of his great love, he died on a cross while we were still sinners. He died on a cruel cross that we deserve because of our sin so that we can ask him for forgiveness and we can surrender our lives fully to him and we will be saved. Father, I pray that many would do that today. Father, I pray for, pray for us as those who are followers of Christ. Those who, who are following you, but maybe some things have crept in and our love for the world, our love for other things, our, our love for the lesser things, not that they're bad, but they're just lesser than your kingdom, that we have taken our focus and our heart is focused upon those and where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And we are to guard our hearts because out, out of that heart flows the issues of life. And our lives have become realigned and transformed by our treasure. And that treasure is not focused upon your kingdom. Father, I pray you would realign us with your word. And that we would put you as the priority. You are the only one who is worthy compared to anything else. Nothing else. Everything else is just lost compared to the surpassing value, the worth of knowing Christ. So Father, I pray you would give us that heart. Help us to see how valuable being a part of your kingdom is. And in doing so, may we be people who are willing to joyfully sacrifice anything and everything to be a part of the kingdom as we follow Christ. Father, we give this time of decision to you. Any decision that needs to be made, whether maybe joining the church, maybe wanting to talk to somebody about how they can know for certain that they're a follower of Christ. Maybe someone needs to talk about being baptized or any other prayer concern or question. Father, in this time, we pray that you might give your boldness, that you might give your, your wisdom, that you might give your, your conviction and that you receive all the glory and honor and all the praise for all that is done. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.